Well, today we start a little mini-series called Lenses, and this is going to be a really, really fun series, a really powerful series. And to get started today, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been to or watched a 3D movie? Yeah, remember that stretch of time a couple years ago where like every major release that got released in, in theaters or, or on DVD, like everything had a 3D version of it. Every major movie that got released had the regular version and the 3D version. And movie theaters, they loved the 3D version because they could charge extra for the 3D version because after all, they were give, generously giving away those 3D glasses that cost about four cents and they could charge like $4 extra for seeing the 3D movie. It was, it was amazing. They, they loved them. And then the funny thing, like thinking about this in a, in a, in a now a COVID world is you had to give those glasses back so that they could be recycled. Yeah, they sat on your face, touched your nose, touched your ears, came close to your eyeballs, and then at the end of all that, they wanted them back so that they could give them to someone else. It was amazing. People seemed to love the movies because we all felt like we were a little a little part of the movie, like we were just a little bit closer to it. And I mean, like, like think of it, like those fish that were swimming next to Dory, they were like so close. You could, you could almost like reach out and grab them, except you knew they were fictional. It was amazing. Movie theaters loved them. People loved them. And I mean, the idea of 3D movies even got so popular that camera companies started selling 3D cameras for consumer use so that your home movies and your videos of your children's birthdays and wedding videos could actually be experienced in 3D in your home on your own personal camera. And if you never saw one of those cameras, here's what a 3D camera looks like. We're going to put one up on the screen right now. A true 3D camera will always have two lenses. And that second lens is what provides the depth and the three-dimensionality that you can't get with just one lens. In other words, the second lens allows you to see in a different way than you could ever see with just a single lens. Now, I don't know about you, but my experience with 3D movies was not always very good. My, my, my experience watching or going to 3D movies was not very enjoyable. Um, like many people that I have spoken with, I always got just these massive headaches whenever I went to a 3D movie. I don't know if, I don't know if that was any of your experience, but for me, that was always my experience. We would go to a 3D movie, Jalen and I would you know, get all gussied up, you know, put on a nice polo, um, and we would go to the movies, and we'd go see a 3D movie, and, and we would walk out and Jalen would be like, well, that was a great movie. And I was like, I could barely even make it through. Like my head hurts so, so bad. And so I started to notice that there, 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 there was this thing that happened. As, as I talked to some people, some people got massive headaches from 3D movies and other people didn't get headaches at all from going to a 3D movie. Jalen never got a, a headache from going to a 3D movie. My buddy Mike, who I went to see a lot of movies with, never got a headache from going to a 3D movie. But me and a lot, and, and a lot of other people that I knew seemed to get these massive headaches from going um, to see a 3D movie. And so I did a lot of, I started to do some research to figure out, you know, what is the cause of my headaches and some of these other people? What's the cause of the headaches from these 3D movies? And so I did some very in-depth research. I got on Google and, and I asked Google this question. I said, uh, why do some people get headaches from 3D movies? Big time research. Like I got the, you know, basically the, the you know, the, the whole thing, like what's going to happen? What's gonna, what are we going to find out from this mystery? And here's the answer that I got from Google. People who don't wear glasses or contacts often get headaches from watching 3D movies. That was the, that was the answer of, for, on the top 10, you know, searches on Google. People who don't wear glasses or contacts they often get headaches from watching 3D movies. And the reasoning was simple. People who regularly wear glasses or contacts are used to their eyes adjusting the way that they see. So their eyes and their brain are very familiar with that happening. 
So when it happens with 3D glasses for a 3D movie, not an issue. But people who are used to seeing clearly without glasses or contacts, their eyes and their brain are not used to the process of a lens adjusting the way they see the world. And that process, when you're not used to it, it causes headaches. It was the first time in my life that I've ever been sad about my perfect eyesight. It was the first time that I was ever like, oh man, I wish that I had worn glasses or contacts for my whole life. All because of some lenses that were attempting to change the way that we see and experience what's in front of us. Now, I bring all of that up to remind us of a really simple but very, very powerful truth. And here's the truth. The lens that we look through determines how and what we see. The lens we look through determines how and what we see. This is just plain true. That we all have some sort of lens or some sort of filter through which we see the world around us. And whether we realize it or not, our lens or our filter determines how we see and how we perceive what is taking place in our world and taking place around us. And not only does it affect how we see, our lens even affects what we see in the world around us and in the events that take place around us. See, we'll see some things very vividly and very clearly and other things we won't even notice all because of the lens through which we view and through which we see and experience the world. Let me just give you a few examples of this. See, you have a your job filter. You have a your job filter. Every one of us has a your job filter. This is that thing in your head that when something big happens in the city or when something big happens in the economy, when you get sick or when you get injured, when you have some reason that you're gonna that you're gonna be going somewhere, maybe you're going on a trip, one of the thoughts that you hear in your head, one of the things that comes into every single one of our minds is this question. I wonder if that's gonna affect my work. Or I wonder how that's going to affect my work. I wonder how that's going to affect my job. I wonder if the economy changing is going to affect my job. I wonder if, you know, me getting sick will affect my job. You know, if you break an arm or you break a shoulder, you know, like, oh, I wonder if that's going to affect my ability to do my job. Every single one of us has a my job filter or a your job filter. And I just want to ask this question. Has anyone heard that voice in your head at some point over the last 10 months? Yeah, all of us have felt that. Like as the economy has shifted, as the economy has changed, as shutdown orders and lockdown orders have, have come into place, all of us have wondered at some point, like, I wonder how that affects my job. I wonder if I'm going to go into work. I wonder if that's going to affect my hours. I wonder if that's going to affect my sales. Like we all have this my job filter. And as a pastor, that's a constant thought that's been in my head. Like I wonder if this will have an impact on the church. We all have a our job filter. Let me give you another one. If you have kids, you have a your kids filter. You have a your kids filter. How does this affect my children? How does this affect their school? How does this affect what's going on in their lives? Let me give you a really, really clear example of this. If you have a child in elementary school and they and they have a teacher that you love and that, that, that they love and that they care about, and if that teacher finds out that they're going to have a baby, you would think that your first response would be to be really happy for, for the person that your child loves that is going to have a child of their own. You would think that would be the first thing. Like, oh, well, congratulations, that's amazing. But that's not your first thought. Your first thought is, I wonder what's gonna happen to, to my kid. What's gonna, what's gonna happen to my kid? Like, are, like who's gonna be the long-term sub? Are they gonna be any good? Well, my, you know, like, is Jamie, is little Jamie gonna fall behind in, in math or in reading because their teacher is going away? And I mean, and, and let's be honest, like, you know, little Jamie, they're this teacher's favorite, but but they they don't even know the long-term sub. And what if Jay, what if little Jamie you know starts to experience some bad stuff because they're not the favorite anymore? What if they start to not like school? And what if they end up not getting into Harvard all because of this long-term sub that's happening? And then after you've thought about all of that and had a little mini meltdown and a mini panic attack, after that you start to think about 
Well, that's probably really good for that teacher. You start to, I mean, but, but you go through all of these things. Well, I wonder how long their maternity leave is going to last. How long is this going to affect my child? You have a your child filter, and it's very normal. And it's very natural for all of us to have that. But, but, but all of that to say this, every single one of us, we have lenses through which we see the world. We see the world through the lenses of our education, through the lenses of politics, through the lenses of our favorite sports teams, and through what's happening in the sports world, through the lenses of our spiritual experiences and our family history, and all kinds of other things. And the lenses we see through determine how we see and what we see. And I bring all of that up because for the next two weeks, what I want to do is I want us to talk about two of the lenses in our lives that I think are some of the most important things in our lives that maybe we don't spend enough time actually thinking about, but affect us in big ways. And these are the two lenses that I want us to talk about. The lens through which God sees us and the lens through which we see God. And both of those lenses are incredibly important. The way God, when, for us to think about and to talk about and to spend a few weeks talking about how God sees us and how we see God. And so today, what I want to do is I want to start by talking about how God sees us. So let's ask this question. How do you think God sees you? How do you think God sees you? Like if there's, if there's a wonderful, perfect, heavenly father who created everything, who has a standard, who is perfection in himself, how does that God feel when he looks at you? How does that God, how does perfect God see you? How does flawless God see you? How does creator God see you? How does God who has a standard see you? What do you think God sees when he looks at you. And I think if we're all being honest, there are some pretty easy and obvious answers to that question. That if there is a perfect God who knows what I do and knows what I'm like, when that God looks at me, he sees me in a very specific way. And here's a couple of the things that I think most of us think that God sees us as. The first one is I think we think that God would see us as a failure. That God knows that I don't live up to his standards. And I barely, let's be honest, I barely ever live up to my standards and you barely ever live up to your standards. So when it comes down to it, I fail and you fail. And perfect God, the way we think about him, perfect God doesn't particularly deal well with failure because he doesn't fail ever. And so he looks at our failure and he goes, ah, oh, they're a failure. Ah, oh, they're a failure. They failed again. They failed again. Failed again. Failed again. They're a failure. That when we think about how God would see us, many of us, I think, we believe that God sees us and he sees our failure, and he might just even see us as failures. The second thing I think a lot of us think when it comes to how God views us is that God would view us as a disappointment. See, because if, if and many of us think that if there's a perfect God who created us good, but knows how often we fail, we think that when God looks at us, he doesn't just see our failures and our flaws, he would actually be disappointed in us. Because what we think is, well, God is good, God created us good, and God created us for good and to do good, and God knows how rarely we actually choose good and how rarely we actually choose to do the good that we were created to do. And so God doesn't just see us as failures. God sees us as disappointments. God sees God's disappointed in us. God sees us as disappointments that we haven't lived up to what God created us for. And since we haven't lived up to it, God is disappointed in us. I think another thing a lot of us think when we think about how God would see us is that God would see us as broken. That many of us think that because of our failure, because we've disappointed God, we are broken and we are broken beyond 
repair, that our sin has broken us, that life has broken us, that we're damaged goods, that we've gone too far, that we've done too much, we've experienced too much of the ugly of life to ever think of being whole. And if we can't be whole, and if we're all cracked up, and if we're all damaged, then surely God would want nothing to do with us in his perfection. That if God is perfect, he wants nothing to do with our brokenness. And we're broken And God could not possibly love someone as broken as me. And then I think the final thing that many of us think about when we think about how how God would see us and how God views us is the word defeated. That failure is the feeling of knowing that you didn't win that time. Defeated is the feeling that you don't think you can ever win. You feel like sin has your number and you're always going to lose, always going to fail, always going to disappoint, always going to be broken because you always have what would possibly change now? And I think if we're being honest, all of us, when we think about how God would see us, if you're confronted with the question that we just have asked, how do you think God sees you? Those words would all be at the top of the list. That when God looks at me and when God looks at you, he sees failure, he sees disappointment, he sees our brokenness, he sees that we are defeated and we don't ever seem to actually win and we don't ever actually seem to overcome and we don't ever seem to defeat sin in our own lives and we don't ever kind of overcome and if it, you know what's interesting about all that and what's interesting about all that is that all of that all of that is true about you and all of that is true about me i'm a failure i don't live up to god's standards and neither do you I'm a disappointment. When I don't live up to God's standards, I know better, and I certainly could choose better, and so do you, and so could you, but we don't. That that life certainly has hit all of us with haymakers, and so all of us are a little bit broken, and all of us have felt the feeling of defeat and feeling like we can't make the progress that we want to make, that we can't win the victories that we want to win. That is all true. And at the sake of sounding really blunt, if you don't know Jesus, If you're watching today and you don't know Jesus, that is what's true of you. And that is how God sees you. But while that's all really bad news, there is actually some really good news that I want to talk about today. See, God knows all of that about you, but in Jesus, he chooses to see you through a much better lens, that God knows all of that about you, that God knows that you fail, that God knows you disappoint, that God knows that you don't live up to his standards, that God knows that life has gotten the best of you and has broken you, and God knows that you do not often win the way you want to win and that you are defeated, that God knows all of that about you. But through Jesus, when you put your trust in Jesus, God sees you as something much better, and he sees you something much different than what the rest of life has told you. Here's what, here's what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul wrote this. He said, for, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. This, this is the gospel message. One, Jesus died for all, that our failure could die with him, our brokenness could die with him, our selfishness could die with him, and our guilt and our shame could die with him. And that when we trust in Jesus, we no longer live for ourselves, which is how we picked up all the shame and all the failure and all the brokenness and all the defeat, but that we would live for him who died for 
us and who now lives forever because he was raised to life. That's the gospel message. Jesus died for you so that you would not have to experience death. Jesus died for you so that your shame and your guilt could be taken care of. That's some really freaking good news. That's good news for you, and that's good news for me. Jesus made it possible for you to leave all of that in the past, all of the stuff that you have experienced of life, all the stuff that life has done to you, all the stuff that life has broken in you, that you can leave all of that in that past. Jesus made it possible for you to put an end to your failure an end to your shame, an end to your brokenness, an end to your disappointment, and an end to your defeat. Because when he died for all, when Jesus died for all, Jesus died for you. When Jesus died for all, Jesus died for you so that your story could change forever. And so how God sees you could change forever. It could change in a moment and it could change forever. Here's, here's, here's what Paul wrote next. He said, so from now on, we, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no, no longer. And I love that Paul chose this phrase, a worldly point of view. In other words, through the perspective or through the lens that the rest of the world looks through, talking about how we see, how we see and how God sees us, whether from, from a worldly point of view or from a higher point of view. And what Paul is saying here is simply this. We're not looking only at the physical here and now. We used to see only from the physical in the, in, in the here and now. But because of Jesus, we know that there is a bigger picture. We know that there's a broader picture. We know that there is a higher way of seeing. And what I really love that Paul does is Paul admits that previously he and others even viewed Christ, even viewed Jesus from this limited worldview through a very small filter, through a very temporary filter, through a very temporary lens. And he says, we even viewed Christ through the lens of the here and now and through our flawed way of perceiving and our, our, our flawed perspective. But he says, ultimately, we don't, we don't do that anymore. And, and, and other translations say how differently we see him now. And here's what Paul's ultimately saying. On the other side of the resurrection of Christ, we see differently and we know Christ differently. And because of how we see and know Christ differently, the way we see everything has changed. Now, here's what he says. This is, this is a, such a beautiful verse. He says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, would you type in Christ right now in the comments? Would you just simply, or say out loud wherever you are, in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. That's a big deal. Anyone who is in Christ, in Christ. That's a phrase that I want you to keep in the back of your head right now. Anyone who is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. Anyone who's in Christ, anyone who's in Christ, if you are in Christ, there's a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Come. And then he said this in verse 18 through 21. He said this, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, or again, in Christ, so that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. See, Paul uses that phrase, in Christ or in him, two more times, that anyone in Christ is a new creation, that God reconciled the world to himself in Christ, that in Christ our sins are no longer counted against us. Our past 
is no longer counted against us. What you did yesterday or what you did Friday night is no longer counted against you because you are in Christ. And in Christ, we become the righteousness of God. It's apparently a significant, big deal thing to be in Christ. And see, I was trying to figure out how to visually represent this, what it means to be in Christ. And that's where this idea of lenses hit me. Because right now, every one of you is see, every one of you at home is seeing me through a lens. So you might be watching on your phone or watching on an iPad or watching on a laptop, or maybe you're even watching on, on a TV screen. You're, you're watching on your screen, but you're seeing me through the lenses of our cameras. You're seeing me through the lenses of our cameras. And if we were to change the color on the lens or put a colored filter on the lens all of a sudden, you would see me entirely differently. See, if I snap my fingers and we put on a blue filter, all of a sudden you still see me, but you perceive me as blue, Chris. Or if I, if I snap my fingers and we put on an orange filter, again, you, you see me, but you see me entirely differently. You see me through the lens and you see me as orange, Chris. Or the same with red. Same with green, same with yellow, same with purple, that you see me through the lens. And the best way to understand what Paul was saying about us being in Christ is that when you put your trust in Christ, God sees you, but he sees you through the lens of Jesus. He sees you through the filter of Jesus, that God sees you through the lens of Jesus. So when God looks at you, he no longer sees your imperfection alone. He sees your imperfection through the lens of Jesus. He sees your sin through the filter of Jesus. He sees your shame and your guilt through the filter of Jesus. He sees you, but he perceives everything about you through the lens of his perfect, sinless, loving son. God sees you, God sees you in your sin covered by the blood of his sinless son. God sees you and your past redeemed at the cross by Jesus. God sees your guilt and your shame dead at the foot of the cross. And God sees you alive because of an empty grave. God sees you and God sees me. That when God looks at you and you are in Christ, God sees you through the lens and through the filter of his son, Jesus. So when God looks at you, he doesn't see failure. He sees you in Jesus. He doesn't see disappointment. He sees you in Jesus. He doesn't see brokenness. He sees you in Christ. He does not see defeat. He sees you through the victory of Jesus. And so for just a few moments, if I can, I want to talk about how God sees you in Christ. How God sees you through the filter of Christ. See, in Christ, you are not a failure. In Christ, you are forgiven. In Christ, you are forgiven. When God looks at you and when God looks at me and my faith is in Jesus Christ, God does not see my failure. God sees forgiveness. God sees a forgiven and a free Person. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8 says this In him, again, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. See, in Christ, 
When you are in Christ, you are not a failure. You are forgiven. That's true about you. That's true about me. That when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, your sins are not counted against you as failure. Your sins are forgiven and you are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. That when Jesus went to the cross for you, he went for you. When he died for everyone, he died for you so that your sins and so that my sins could be forgiven, so that we could walk in forgiveness, so that we could walk in freedom, knowing our sins would no longer be counted against us, but knowing that there was a God who had sent his son to redeem us and to free us from the weight of our sin. You are forgiven. That's who you are. That's how God sees you. In Christ, in Christ, you are not a disappointment. In Christ, God sees you as perfect. In Christ, God sees you as perfect. And I know this is a hard one for us to wrap our heads around because we all know how short of perfect we fall. And you know how short of perfect you fall. And I know how short of perfect I fall. And I know that every single day I make mistakes that mean that I am not perfect. But here's what, here's what we find out in Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10, the writer and the author of Hebrews 10 says this, But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Talking about what Jesus did for us. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Jesus did that for you. That Jesus is one sacrifice for you and that Jesus is one sacrifice for the world has made us perfect in God's sight. That when God looks at us, he does not see our disappointments. He does not see our failures. He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus's perfection. He sees Jesus's sinlessness. He sees the sacrifice and the life that was laid down for you and that was laid down for me. And when God looks at you, he does not see a disappointment. He sees Jesus. That Jesus has made you perfect in God's sight. That you actually can live as someone following Jesus and experiencing the perfection that Jesus has for you and that Jesus has for me in, in Christ, God sees you and God sees me as perfect. In Christ, God does not see you as broken. God sees you as healed. In Christ, God sees you as healed. In 1 Peter, Peter who spent time with Jesus, who walked with Jesus, who actually walked on water as he was walking toward Jesus. Here's what Peter, who had experienced failure, who had denied Jesus, and who, who then you know, saw Jesus die on the cross and then ate, ate uh, breakfast with Jesus three days later on the beach. Here's what Peter said about how Jesus would, would handle our brokenness. In 1 Peter 2, 24, he said, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And then he said, By his wounds, you and me, by his wounds, you have been healed. See, you are not broken before God. You, you, you come to God broken. We all come to God broken. We all come with scars. We all come with wounds. We all come with stuff that life has done to us and that life has done in us and that life has done around us that has broken us. And when we come to God, we do not stand before God broken. We stand before God healed. We stand before God whole because Jesus is our healing and Jesus is our wholeness. Before God and in God's sight, we are not broken we are healed and we are made whole because when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees you through the filter and through the lens of Jesus. And one final thing, in Christ, God sees you as victorious. 
God sees you and God sees me as victorious. In 1 John 5, we're told this. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. We're not overcome by the world. We overcome the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Only the ones who find themselves in Christ. The one we find ourselves in Christ. We have a victory that has been won for us, that we carry everywhere we go. And so when God looks at you, you are not defeated. You have a victory that belongs to you, that was won at the cross, and that was won in an empty grave, that was, that was carried out of an empty grave for you. You are not defeated. You are not a person who has to experience failure over and over and over and brokenness over and over and over again. You do not experience defeat. You are not defeated in Christ. You are victorious because when God looks at you, he sees his son, Jesus. God looks at you through the lens of Jesus. So here's two thoughts as we close today. The first thought is simply this. If that's how God sees you, that's how you should see you. If that's how God sees you, that's how you should see you. You should live as if you're forgiven. This is, this is crazy, and the, you could take this to mean the wrong way. You should live as if you've been made perfect in Jesus Christ. You, you can walk in that every single day, striving for the perfection that Jesus displayed and modeled and set it as, a, as an example for you. You should live every single day as if you are no longer broken, but you have been healed. You should live every single day as if you are not a person who's defeated, as if you are actually a person who's victorious. If that's how God sees you, that's who you are. That's what you are. You are forgiven. You are perfect in God's sight. You are not a disappointment. You are perfect in God's sight. You are healed. You are whole. You are victorious. If that's how God sees you, that's what you are. That's who you are. And we should walk in that every single day. And the second thought that I have is simply this. Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Are, are, have you made the decision? Have you placed your faith in Christ so that God, when he looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees you through the lens of Jesus. So that God sees you through Jesus. Have you placed your faith in his death and in his resurrection? Have you placed your life in his hands. Have you made the decision that you are in Christ? If you've never made that decision, or if you made that decision a long time ago, but you've wandered away from it, today is the day for you to make that decision, to be in Christ, so that when God looks at you, he does not see you in your past, you in your shame, you in your guilt, you in your brokenness, you in your failure, you in your disappointment, you in everything that comes with you in, in, in your life as you have lived it, that he would see Jesus covering you, that he would see Jesus forgiving you, Jesus healing you, Jesus making you new, and Jesus redeeming your past. If you want to make that decision today, I would love for you to make that decision right now. And as we pray today, I would love for you to pray to your heavenly father and to let us know that you're making that decision by clicking the link that's in the chat right now. But I would love for you to make that decision and for you to pray with us today and to let your heavenly father know that you are making the decision that you want to be in Christ, that you want him to see you through the lens of Jesus, through the lens of his perfect son. That's how God sees you. That's how God sees you when you are in Christ.
And I would love for every single one of us to experience the way that God sees us and to live as if we actually are what God sees in us. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your grace for us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that when Jesus died for the world, that Jesus died for me, that Jesus died for us, that 2,000 years ago, you sent Jesus to a cross to die for the world. And when he died for the world, he died for us as individuals. Thank you that he came to be our forgiveness and to be and to be the one who would redeem us and make us perfect in your sight and make us righteous in your sight. Thank you that, that he is our healing and that when we come before you because of Jesus, we are not broken, we are healed and we're whole. Thank you that he is our victory, that when we come before you, we're not defeated, but in him, we have a victory that we could never win for ourselves. So God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that when we come before you, we don't stand before you in our own power or in our own strength, but we stand before you in Christ and in his victory and in his healing and in his freedom and in his redemption. So God, today, may we see ourselves the way you see us. May we walk as people who are forgiven. May we walk as people who have been made righteous. May we walk as people who are, are healed and are being healed and are whole. And God, may we walk in the victory that Jesus won for us at the cross and in the grave. God, we love you. Help us have wisdom to know what to do with what we just heard. Help us have courage to actually live it out. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.